the words for one of the verses, the last verses of the last song that we sang, uh, are profound words, and they really set today's sermon up very well. <laughs> uh, look at them again. Teach us, Lord, full obedience. <laughs> we cry out to God as we sing this song, God, we want to know what full obedience is. To have a fear of you. To be completely humble. Truly humil- hum- hum- true humility. And we say, God, test our thoughts and our attitudes. <laughs> Check our hearts. We say these words. and Do we really want him to do <laughs> that? As we look at the Sermon on the Mount, I confess that this sermon that Jesus preached lays me bare. It cuts to the very heart of who I am and shows me how much I have to put to death. It shows me just how prideful I am and how much has to die. It shows me just how glorious Jesus is that this is how he thought all the time. And that's how he always acted. Jesus never gave commands and never preached sermons that he didn't live that same attitude. Everything he said as a man in his humanity, he was 100% God, 100% man, in his humanity, he lived it perfectly. And I'm brought to that and go... God, you're so much bigger and so much glorious than I can even comprehend. And so I do beg you, God, teach me what this is all about. Help me to do it then. Because we can't do it by ourselves, right? Let's look at Luke chapter 6. Today we want to continue Jesus' sermon to the people on the, ma- on the mountain. Jesus' sermon, we have seen contrast two main groups of people, true disciples and the lost. The true disciples are characterized by humility and dependence and brokenness and persecution. The lost were characterized by pride and independence and self-righteousness and vain popularity. Last week we saw Jesus called the true disciples to a higher standard, even higher than we could ever comprehend without Christ. Let's read our passage in Luke chapter 6, 27 to 36. Jesus is talking and he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you in the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. Whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that for you, to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners. In order to receive back the same amount. But. Love your enemies. And do good. And lend. Expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the most high. For he himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful. Just as your father is merciful. Powerful words. Martin Lloyd-Jones states, it is important for us 
to remember some key principles in understanding these commands. The commands are not for the world. They are for born-again believers. The commands concern the Christian's personal relationships, not relationships as a citizen of his country. In other words, this does not mean that we can't serve in the army and police and even be called to war. That's not what he's talking about here. The commands are ultimately about believers' attitudes towards one another. The commands are not meant to be a list of rules to show, a per, show others how righteous we can be. In other words, I'm not going to say, I'm going to do these so that people will think that I'm righteous. That would miss the whole point again, right? He just condemned the Pharisees for that action. They are supposed to be guiding truths that reveal Christ to us. Show us who he is. This is who he is. They should reveal our need of Christ. And they do, don't they? As we read these, we're convicted and shown that we need Christ. And they reveal that we must totally be dependent on Christ and the Spirit to work in us to accomplish any of it. We see here all true disciples of Jesus are called to love your enemies. We saw it already last week. Love, again, is commitment to someone evidenced by unconditional sacrifice. It is a willful commitment to another person. It is much more than just emotions and feelings. Second, we must do good to those who hate you. Love for those who hate you must be revealed in our actions. What we do, it can't just be what we say. We can say, you know, again, this is so important. Pastor Mike can stand up here and say, love your enemies. And I can say, I love my enemies, but if I don't do it, <laughs> then that's useless. Doing good to those who hate you is a requirement. And it shows the evidence of a born-again heart that understands Christ. Because after all, he did good for us who... Hated him. Correct? Bless those who curse you. Love is revealed in what we say to others. And fourth, humbly accept physical hatred directed at you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other side. I kind of want to illustrate this a little bit more with Matthew 5.38. Here's the parallel. You have heard that it is said, was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other one to him also. It is important to remember all of us were born with a desire to defend ourselves. Did you hear me? You are born inside. You are born with the innate, I want to take care of myself. I am important. Myself is important. And I will do whatever it takes to take care of me. That's how you're born. We do not want to put, be put down in any way. We never want self to be put down, for sure. And to see this on display, just watch two two-year-olds play. <laughs> Right? If you watch two two-year-olds play, one will take the toy away from the other. Right? Womp! That's my toy. I want it. You had it, but I want it. My desires are more important. Right? That's what it, the little two-year-old does. I have a desire for that. Myself's important. The other two-year-old looks at the one that got stolen and does boop! Walks him across the head and takes the toy back. Why? Because I have a desire to take care of myself. That is mine. Give it back. Right? We are born with what? A desire to glorify and take care of who? Self. It's a fact. One will bite. Another will punch. Whatever it takes, all to take care of self. 
And God, talking to the Israelites, gives them a command. This is a quote from the Old Testament. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Right? God gave them that command in Leviticus. So why did he do it? Well, because he knew the nature of man. He knew that they want their self to be taken care of. Now he sets up a law. He gave them a law, the Israelites. Look. Be fair. If you do it, if you do it, and you, somebody hurts you, you knock a tooth out in a punch, then guess what? You should get a tooth taken out. Be fair. Think about what you're doing. So what does he do for the Israelites? He sets a standard. He says, look, you are selfish people. I know it. <laughs> in effect, he says to the Israelites, hey, I know you're going to want to punch you're going to want to get revenge. You're going to want to take revenge for yourself being hurt. So I'm going to set up a law. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Here it is. And everybody in here says, great, I like that one, right? Well, I hate to tell you, but we don't always think that that's even a good law even there. Often when we are thinking about when somebody hurts us, what do we want? We want revenge and we want to outdo them. We want ours to get better. We want to up them. Right? Look at a fight between a husband and wife, and nine times out of ten, it's always a challenge of trying to outdo the other one and make them feel worse than you feel. But he says even. Then Jesus comes onto the scene. And he says, that bar you missed I'm going to set the bar a little higher. <laughs> you missed that one. You're not doing that one. But so that you see that you really are unrighteous and you need God. And you really need to see that you can't do anything apart from me. And that you must be poor in spirit and totally dependent on me. Here's what I'm going to do. What God's standard really is, is resist an evil person. That is, not uh, run from them. But don't fall into their trap of being evil. If they slap you on the right cheek, turn the other one to them. In other words, completely humbly allow any bad that happens to you to let it happen. Did the bar get higher? <laughs> Some people say, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament is so much harsher than the New Testament. You should not know the Bible. The standard that we see in Jesus Christ is 20 billion times harder than the Old Testament law. It's much harder. Love your enemy. The standard is huge. And he goes on. Humbly surrender any of your possessions if, you, if someone seeks it. Whoever takes away your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them either. In other words... Be willing to get almost down to the bare essentials to give everything away. It was illustrated so well by a story I heard of Mark Dever. Mark Dever's a pastor in Washington. And if you ever get on his website, Nine Marks, you ought to listen to his sermon. His sermons are amazing. But he gave an illustration of this. And, and I, I guarantee you Mark would not give credit to himself on this. But he was in a situation where... A, a thief comes up to him and holds him up and says, I want your wallet. Give me your wallet. So Mark gives him his wallet. And in the process, starts taking his coat off. And he gives the guy his coat. And he begins this conversation with the man and says, why are you giving me, the guy asks him, why are you giving me your coat? You know, well, you know, if you really need it, I want to have it. I want you to have it. And he begins to talk to him and ask him and finds out that the guy is in desperate straits, huge problems. And he says, well, can, would, you like to go to, would you like to go to lunch? <laughs> You're a thief! Stealing things from him! <laughs> and the guy says, yeah, he says, yes. But Mark says, well, you're going to have to pay because you have my wallet. <laughs> they go to lunch. And he gives him the gospel. Shares the gospel of Christ to him. 
what's the point? The guy gave him back his stuff, by the way. But that's not the significant thing anyway, is it? The guy needed Christ. That's what we're supposed to be about. That's why Jesus does this. So people will see that they need Christ. If somebody takes away your coat, don't withhold, hey, giving them everything, okay? Is there anything else you need? Can I talk to you about the one that loved us, the sinner? Humbly lend to anyone who asks. Give to everyone who asks you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Lloyd-Jones continues. He stated this about this section on the Sermon on the Mount. Our Lord here is unveiling and exposing this horrible thing that controls the nature of man. He's showing something off here. It is self. That terrible legacy that has come down from the fall of man, which makes man glorify himself and set himself up as a god. Mankind protects himself all along and in every way. But he does not only, he, he does it not only when he's attacked and when something is taken from him, he also does it in matters of his possessions. If another one wants to borrow from him, his instinctive response is what? Well, why should I part with my goods? And impoverish myself this way. He nails it here. It is self the whole time. I'm preaching through this. And I've recently had somebody that has been borrowing things from me. The amazing thing is, is that the person, I absolutely love the person. I know she's a believer in Christ. You know, she's been borrowing these things. She's done nothing wrong. You know, and I'm trying to open, you know, do the kind things, right? But I found myself inside complaining about it. Am I the only one, by the way, that does this? What? I didn't hear a thank you there. What's going on here? You know, you can't you can't get this stuff on your own. You know, thinking these thoughts is evil. It's all about what? Self. I'm sitting here going, this is my stuff. You could have just put me back down in the two-year-old and said, hey, I could have, you know, bit her or something. Give her a bite. Hey, why are you stealing my stuff? <laughs> That's who we are. We are wicked. But we're believers. At that moment, I had forgotten the very message that I was preaching this week. We need Christ. I need him. Don't you need him? We are selfish people. A professor of mine used to have a saying, and I completely agree with it. We are much more sinful than we think we're so sinful. We are much more selfish than we think we're selfish. I promise you are one selfish person. <laughs> the Bible makes that clear. By the way, if, if you don't think you have a problem in this area, uh, need to read the sermon some more and ask God to convict you of your sin. Put yourself in the place where you have to give up what you prize. You want to see if you're really there? Do this. Find some places where you have to give when it hurts. Most of us put ourselves in places where we can give because of excess. That's nothing, correct? Think about this. When you tithe. And you give to the church. Now, again, I hate doing it, but this is a prime example. What we have a tendency to do is we give out of excess. You know, I can handle this. Oh, yeah. No problem. This isn't going to. I can still get that iPad 
and I can still have my cell phone. Mm-hmm. You know, I can still have high-speed internet. Mm-hmm. I can give this amount. What is that? Yeah, that's giving, but it's giving what? This is easy. I mean, this is just a normal thing. Put yourself in a spot where you gotta you gotta give out of, and it hurts. It's painful a little bit. And I'm not saying give to the church. Put yourself in that spot. Then you'll be able to see what you're really about, what your heart's really about. Give and then respond when somebody asks you for, you know, hey, when do you want me to pay you this back? Oh, go ahead. You keep it. Can you imagine? These are hard things, but this is what he's talking about. This is the standard of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we need the Lord, don't we? Today I want to focus a little bit more on this golden rule found in 631. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. You know, it's amazing how our mind can flip things around and make this easy to do. You know, somebody hurts you or does something mean to you and you go, well, you know, if I were them, I would want somebody to point out the Bible to me so that I would turn and change. Hmm, is that right? Well, think about it for a second. What is your motive? What's your motive in doing it? Is it because you've been hurt? Or because you really, truly love the person? You're really committed to them sacrificially. Woo, do you see how deep this stuff is? This is hard stuff. Are you getting this? Let's make a couple of observations from this command. First, the command is not a one-time deal. It's treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Right? Second, others is pretty general here. This is very general, a matter of fact. It points to all who we come in contact with. It appears. Treat others. Love your neighbor as yourself. What? He's trying to make it as general as possible. Every personal contact. This is how we're supposed to be. The same, and then notice, the same way you want them to treat you. The idea is put yourself in the place of the other person you are interacting with. Did you hear me? Listen closely. Focus, pay attention, listen. It is put yourself in the place of the other person. Put yourself in their shoes. We are required to see people in their circumstances and treat them how you would want to be treated if you were in their circumstances, not in your circumstances. Did you hear that? I I might need to say it again. Y'all get that, what I said? No, some of it, a little bit. Put yourself in their shoes and treat them how you would want to be treated if you were in their shoes. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't share the gospel because he gave the gospel to the guy that was, right? But realize where they are. Understand who they are. For example, MacArthur was, gave a sermon on how to parent and, and, and on parenting, and Brenda was reading it to me the other day. And John was talking about one time his, his son, Matt, flushed his his uh, watch down the toilet. Okay? His son, Matt, flushed his watch down the toilet. Now, how would you react, by the way? That was convicting for me. What are you doing? You know? This is what John said. This is only the Spirit of God. He explained the events, and he said this. I remember when Matt flushed my watch down a toilet. I said... Why did you do that? He said, I just wanted to see what it looked like going down. (laughs) Did I spank him? John says. No. In fact, I wish I would have been there. I'd like to see what it looked like when it was going down. I laugh for a 
little growing for a few experiments. The whole idea is, is he understood where his child was. And he treated the child as a child. How many times, parents, do we expect our kids to be us? Ah, convicting, isn't it? Treat others as you would have them to treat you doesn't mean treat them as if they're adults. Act like me. That's not what it's meant. Put yourself in their shoes. Put your If somebody's rude to you, an enemy, somebody's rude to you, why are they doing that? Because they have a heart problem. <laughs> they're sinful. They're born wicked. They're just doing the two-year-old thing that you think often just don't do it anymore by grace. That's who they are. What's your answer for it? Here's what we do. We say, don't do that. That's wrong. That's not the answer. The answer is the gospel. That's the same thing we talked about in death service today. The answer isn't reform your way of thinking. It's listen to who Jesus is. He is glorious. He loves you. For it's the love of God, the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Not the hammer. So important. Treat others the same way you want to be treated means put yourself in their shoes and treat them like Christ would treat you. Convicted yet? So important. I think when we hear treat others the same way we'd want them to treat us, we think through our own level of maturity and our relationship with God. And again, this is the problem of us focusing too much on ourselves. Look at your enemy and see them for who they are and respond to them the way you would want them to be treated or would treat you. You know, y'all all heard the story of how um, Jim Elliott was killed by the Aka Indians. If you haven't read that, they had guns, remember? All evidence shows that when the Aka and Indians attacked them, they shot up in the air to try to scare them, but they did not shoot any of them and didn't shoot at any of them. Completely getting stabbed, killed. What is the point? They understood their enemy. They understood that they were lost and they needed Christ. And God did some amazing things through that. This requires an awareness of the depravity of man, knowing how apart from God we are totally incapable of the spirit of led righteousness. We can't do it without God. This is not a call, by the way, for us to expect people to treat us like we want to be treated. <laughs> Again, don't use this verse as a proof text. Hey, is that the way you would want to be treated when they hurt you? <laughs> you don't pull it out to beat other people with it. That would miss the whole point. <laughs> Do you understand? Aren't we good Bible thumpers when somebody hurts us? We are great with the Bible when somebody hurts us, but we're horrible when we're hurting somebody else. Isn't that true? I can rip out ten verses if somebody's doing something mean to me. And boy, will I meditate on the scriptures to find the right ones to apply to their heart. But when I do something wrong, oh, well, you know why I would do that. He deserved that. I give every excuse in the book and don't even look near the Bible. Am I the only one? Hopefully not. If I am, <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm convinced our focus is all too often on how people should treat us, not on how we should treat others. Did you get that? We are great at standing up for our rights. We are great at looking at everybody else and saying, why don't you treat me better? 
I guarantee you, if you could get everybody, every spouse in this room to list out what their, their spouse could do better for them, the list would be long and full. But if we had a list of how we could do more for them, it would be short and less thought through. I know. I know it because you are that two-year-old at heart. You're about one person too much of the time. Yourself. You say, Mike, you're awfully judgmental. No, just realize, I realize there's three pointing back at me, and I am fully aware that I am that selfish man. Unfortunately, I wish I knew it more and saw it quicker. I wish I was humble enough to tell every one of you, tell me when I'm being selfish. I need it. We need the Lord, don't we? So we covered the true disciple who Jesus addressed this to, the righteous or requirements of our Lord for his true disciples, the practical application of these commands for his true disciples, and now God's higher standard illustrated. This is very interesting, these verses. In 32 to 34, the Lord establishes a higher standard for love or of love for our enemies. Notice, Jesus gave them three examples of how believers' standards should be higher than the world's standards. Let's look. First, love for those who love us is already done by sinners. He says in verse 32, listen, look, look, listen. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love him, them. To show commitment to someone who is committed to you is really no big deal, is what he's saying. But to show commitment to those who don't love you, that's what God's standard's about. Loving people that don't love you, that's what God is about. That's his standard. The world is about loving those that love them. And take care of them. God's standard is to love his enemies. As shown by the cross. God sent his son to suffer and die for people who hated him. God's son lived and died for sinners who rejected him and denied him. It's over and over. God's son took the father's wrath for those who committed the sin against God. In other words, he took my judgment. The one that was rebelling against him. The opposite of the world's thinking. The world thinks, hey, love those that take care of you. Love those that love you. Even the lost world, ladies and gentlemen, love those who are committed to them. It's easy to love those who love you. But God says love those who hate you. To sacrifice for a person who sacrifices for you is not hard. I confess that many of you in here are easy to love. You are. I mean, you're kind people. I love you because it's really easy. I mean, Vanessa's always smiling at me, saying kind words to me. Why wouldn't I love her? Right? Mark's always gracious to me. He puts up with me no matter what. He continues to do it. Hey, he's easy to love. Even sinners do that, though. The lost do that. They're committed to people that are committed to them. But the standard is not that. God's standard is love those that hate you. Listen to this quote from Clement. This is a second century writer. He gets it. He says this, the world, in, in response to the world and how they, they look at this kind of verse, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love 
exam. He says this, For when they hear from us that God says, It is no credit to you if you love them that love you, but it is credit to you if you love your enemies and those who hate you. When they hear this, when the world hears this, Clement says, they wonder at this extraordinary goodness. But when they see that we who are believers not only do not love those who hate us, but do not even love those who love us, they laugh at us to scorn, and they blaspheme the name of Christ who we carry. There's some, wow, powerful stuff there. Think about it for a second. The world looks at you, ladies and gentlemen. You want the world to just go, whoo, God is big, wow, there's something different about this person. Love your enemies. Summarize. But if you want the world to look at Christ and say, This is a fake, this is garbage, Christianity's not real, don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ because even they love each other. <laughs> they take care of their own. Oh, that's a condemnation on the church, isn't it? He got it way back in the second century. But our standard, God's standard, is way higher. Doing good to those who do good to us is done by sinners. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Obviously, people do good towards one another all the time. But the believer must do good to the ones who do bad to us. You know, how often do we hear of people rescuing people and and, and, you know, on 9-11, all those men ran in to try to rescue people. You know, right? Do you think all of them were believers? No. I, I'm sorry. We're not a Christian nation. It's not there. I'm sorry. Most of them don't believe in Christ. Why did they run into the building? Because they were doing good to people. They were being kind. But we as believers should be willing to run into the building for our enemy. You see the difference. How many of you do it? That's his point. We need Christ, don't we? Because he ran into the building for us. We were his enemy. He took the cross that I deserved and you deserved. The gospel is the key to understanding how to do these things. You must know Christ. None of it makes sense. Third, lending to those who expect a return. If you lend to those if you lend to those for whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. I knew this businessman once that was a Christian. He sold his business to another businessman. Or to another businessman. The businessman wasn't a Christian. He sold it for $98,000 roughly. And I remember or the story goes that the guy went to seminary, and in the process, the guy that he sold his business to decided not to pay him back and stiffed him for $80,000. How would you respond? Just said, okay, I'm not going to pay you back. What are you going to do? What would the Christians supposed to be, what should be the Christians' response? It's amazing how many Christians told this man, you need to do something about it. This guy treated you bad. Numerous Christians. That doesn't bother you? Is what they told the man. What's the point? The man knew that Christ died for him and he didn't deserve it. And the man knew that God could give him the money some other way. But Christians, what are we doing? 
If we're different, if somebody stole money from you, what would you do? If somebody borrowed money from you, okay, we're going to really nail it down. Let's nail it down. Somebody borrowed money from you and they didn't pay you back, what would you do? You would treat them as Christ treated you, right? No, we'd hold a grudge, get angry, get frustrated. And we would have gotten across about what they did. Oh, boy. This walking with Christ thing is not easy, is it? But this is who Christ was. How is it that believers have a hard time loving believers, much less enemies? Yet as disciples of Jesus, this is the most obvious requirement. What does this love look like lived out? How are we supposed to act? Well, here's how we act. Love is patient. You've got to be patient with your enemy. Love is kind. You've got to be kind with your enemy. Love is not jealous. You've got to be kind and not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Oh, but I even see this in debates between Christians and non-Christians, how the Christian becomes arrogant with this truth. Love does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked does not take into account wrong suffered. That's love. That's how we're supposed to act towards our enemy. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all you want people to be patient with you, not jealous, not bragging, or arrogant towards you? And I guess we shouldn't be towards them, right? We're going to treat others the way we want them to treat us. Jesus summarizes this section. Again, we went over this briefly, so we'll, we'll go through it quicker. In conclusion, knowing God. Underlined in your notes, write it down. Knowing God rightly is the reason we should desire to obey his commands. Knowing God, understanding who he is, is what determines whether we will respond appropriately to these commands. If we really get who he is and what he's done for us and for the world, we will then respond appropriately to these commands. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High for because he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Jesus reviewed the main commands, love, do good, lend. Then Jesus highlighted the rewards for the kind, this kind of believer. There's an eternal reward. And there will be a revelation of a right relationship with God that we will be shown to be his children. And you will be literally the sons of the Most High. And then finally, Jesus reminds them of the foundation of all of their love. They know who God is. We talked about this in the deaf service. What is it that is the motivation, the driving force behind what we do? What is it that delivers us from sin? What is it that helps us to become like Christ? And the answer is knowing Christ. Understanding who God is and what God has done. Understanding the gospel is what makes you and motivates you to love others. When your focus is not on the gospel, you're being selfish. Did you hear me? When your focus is not on Christ, you're going to fall. Do you understand? 
When your focus is on the cross and what Christ has done for you and all that God has done for you, when your attention is on the glory of God and his mercy shown to us and his kindness shown to ungrateful evil men like us, when our focus is on God and what God has done for us, then we will obey. Because we love him and the spirit of God's working in us. And he's the apple of our eye and the focus of our affections. But if we're not focused on the gospel, we will focus on self. Our understanding of God's love for us is the primary motivation for our love of others. Only knowing this love could cause us to act like this passage says. If you don't understand the passage, if you don't understand the glory of Christ, you are not going to do this. If you know him, you will love your enemy just like he loves. Let's stand and we're going to sing again and we're going to do this song, the beautiful Savior that we sang. I think it was the third song, is that right? Third song. I want you all to look at the words and sing them to the top of your voices. This is the motivation for our obedience to these commands. It's the beautiful Savior. It's him. He is the one. He is the reason for our obedience. Please stand.
broken the commands he gave us. Thousands, millions. Beautiful Savior. He saved me. The sinner that deserves hell forever. Is there any reason why we shouldn't love our enemies too? None. It's a privilege. 